Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate you coming today. Uh, even if this is your first time, I see some new faces. Uh, as we, you may have heard us talking, the website, ottercreek.org, has audio from each class. And so I know that we've caught two of the first three classes. So if you wanted to catch up, um, you're welcome to visit that site. So we have a bit of a rotation. Mallory's done a few weeks. Uh, I'll speak today. And next week, I think, is slated for just a group discussion. So come prepared to share uh, however much you'd like. And I think the week after that, we're looking at uh, Mary sort of introducing stories of forgiveness to you. So there'll be guest speakers, I guess you'd say, that will share um, different compelling stories that we think you need to know about. So we'd love for you to be part of that. So we're going to kind of do this rotation so there, there's variety and, uh, you know, engaging in a lot of different ways. So thank you all for being here. Um, can I say yes. About the week that I'll be leading, I just want to stress, no one's compelled to share. Um, if you want to, you can. We do have people that have agreed and are coming in. And it will not be taped, so right. it will not be open in the web. It's all private. It's all, we keep it in here. Um, and yeah. however else, what else you want to say about that? But I just wanted yeah. to stress that. Yeah, great thought. Uh, it's good to revisit our goals every now and then. We, we shared these, I think, the first week. Um, number one there is develop a theological framework for forgiveness. This is what Mallory's been working on the first couple of weeks, and if you weren't here, it was fantastic, and I'd really encourage you to, to go check out the, the audio from that. Uh, I, ultimately, we'd love for you to name a hurt that needs to be forgiven, and that may not necessarily be verbally in here, but at least in your mind, corner something that you'd like to work on. We all have hurts. We all have things that we'd love to forgive or kind of get over that uh, particular thing in our past. Uh, in that vein, I want to be really careful to say that uh, we understand this is a particularly sensitive, emotional uh, discussion and issue, so we don't want to uh, take any of it too lightly or, or make you feel uncomfortable in any way. And so we just want to encourage you to, to, to be here, to be present. You're not going to be forced to share anything necessarily if you don't want to. So um, I realize that we're all in different um, different parts of our walk, um, maybe different stages of forgiveness. And so anyway, we just want to be really sensitive to where you are in your journey with that. Um, but hopefully you, you might be able to name a hurt that needs to be forgiven by the end of this class. Uh, we'd love to see us all acquire more transformative tools for forgiveness. And there's some things in your chair that you found this morning that will begin that work. Um, Helen and I were joking, this is not homework. You're not going to have to present your findings <laughs> next week in class. So um, these are for you to take home and, and um, exercise with. Uh, we'd love to learn imaginative preemptive forgiveness, and I'll, I'll, I'll um, touch on that today, but in later weeks we'll cover some more of that. And as Mary is, is gearing up for, we'd love to hear stories of others and their journey and their process of forgiveness because um, those stories have a way of reshaping the way we think, kind of rocking our world, giving us an example, something to hold up. Um, Often they're extreme cases, and, and they become iconic for that reason, but they're, they're compelling. They're, they're, um, they give us an, an imagination for what's possible for humans, um, for the human heart, and so uh, we'd love for you to be a part of all these things and keep these goals in your mind. Come on in. Um, there's a few resources that I'm using, that, uh, particularly today, that I wanted to uh, share with you, and I'm going to continue our class emails. If you're not on that list, be sure to give me your email address before you leave today and you can receive the weekly email update. But today, particularly, there'll be a number of links, uh, web links, these books that I'd love to refer to you. 
Um, and so I'd love to share all those resources. And so if you want to get on that email chain, be sure to, to let me know your email address today if you're not already receiving those uh, uh, weekly emails. So uh, a really quick review of last week, um, because Mallory did such a great job of, of outlining a kingdom theology and sort of rooting the practice of forgiveness in, in uh, the kingdom of God and, and helping us understand how paramount that is that we have this underpinning as we approach this really messy, difficult process or difficult practice of forgiveness. Um, very quickly, God is good. He will not call us to something that is not good. Um, that God forgives us. That God has asked us to forgive one another. That we are made in the image of God. That God is relational. That God cares about our hurt as a good parent. That Jesus shows us what it means to be truly human that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and joins us in our suffering. In his resurrection, Jesus defeated the powers of death and evil, that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world and in our lives and will empower us, and in the new creation, there will no longer be hurt, pain, or sorrow. <coughs> uh, excellent job. Thank you for what you shared last week, really over the last couple of weeks. But that is the basis for, what, for everything moving forward and, and really will... Um, inform our, our discussions, it informs these stories that we're going to be sharing, and so really, really um, important to, to gather that as our basis. Um, any thoughts, questions from last week? We, we, uh, she laid a lot on us, and it was good to think about. Any, any, as you've walked away and pondered that, any reactions or thoughts to that? I'd love to hear it. It's okay if you don't have them. <laughs> it was heavy. It was good. Yeah. Uh, it was so good. Thanks for sending the notes around. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was really good. Yeah. I, I, I kind of left a little full, and, but it was great. It really meant a lot to me, so thank you. Well, good. Check out the notes, and as I said, if you're not on the email, we'd love to get you on the email. Check out the podcast. It was a really, really important week. Um, today we want to begin thinking about the tools necessary, necessary to, to practically begin walking through something as difficult as forgiveness. Uh, those, those concepts will inform our every step, but, um, but at some point it's got to kind of get to nuts and bolts, and so maybe that's my role in the class. These, res these resources are really important. Um, if you've read anything by Desmond Tutu, you know it's worth your time. But um, I want to share this video. About 10 years ago, October 2006, we might have to pull a chair out for Reed if you don't mind, Tim. Um, October 2006, you, you may have seen on the news, um, small town in Pennsylvania, Amish country, a, a deadly school shooting, 10 young girls are shot in the middle of the schoolroom, five of those die, I think one of them may have died later um, in the hospital, but five for sure uh, passed in that shooting. Uh, the shooter uh, took his own life at the end of that massacre and it was just a devastating um, situation. This has since then of course become one of these iconic examples of, of just extreme forgiveness that, that we read about and hear about. I want to share this video. It's three or four minutes and I guess I want to particularly encourage you to um, pay attention obviously to forgiveness and how this community reacts but um, to foreshadow what we're going to be spending time on this morning, I'd love for you to particularly try to pick up on anything related to spiritual warfare. 
Okay, so check out this video. gestures of forgiveness contained in our number three story in the countdown tonight. The family of Marion Fisher, one of the Amish girls killed in a schoolhouse on Monday, invited the widow of her killer to their little girl's funeral this morning. That funeral, one of four on this sad day there, the fifth scheduled for tomorrow. The funeral processions today, simple and humble, from a community that has met an awful event with dignity and abiding humanity. Our correspondent in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is Ryan Ellis. The horse-drawn carriage processions were in step with age-old Amish tradition. First, the body of seven-year-old Naomi Rose Eversole. Hours later, the body of 13-year-old Marion Fisher. And late this afternoon, seven-year-old Lena Miller and her eight-year-old sister, Mary Liz. Keeping with tradition, the families prepared the bodies. The young victims clothed in white dresses, handmade by their mothers. The services are plain and private. There is a short sermon and scripture is read. There is no eulogy, just respect for the life, but not praise. They reserve that for God. There'll be uh, words of comfort read from the Bible, from the German Bible. Um, it'll be a solemn time. It'll be a time of coming together once again, just being together. Uh, crying on each other's shoulders. While the non-Amish community was not part of the processions, many are showing support in other ways. Much of it in the form of money. More than $500,000 has been donated to charities set up for the Amish, something they are unaccustomed to accepting. Far and wide, churches are bringing meals. We're hearing of corporations and companies providing food. They said to me, you know, we could handle this on our own, but that would not be Christ-like. Why should we stop people from being a blessing to us? And although the Amish recognize the community outpouring as a blessing, what's needed most now, they say, are prayers. Tonight, four other girls remain hospitalized. Another student reportedly has been taken <coughs> off life support. There is another funeral tomorrow. But members of this Amish community fear it may not be the last. Keith? Raheem Ellis, great, thanks. Those funds have been created to help the families of the Amish victims, of course, but there are reports that those families insist on sharing some of the money with the widow and children of the shooter, Charles Carl Roberts. One fund has been set up exclusively for the Roberts family. Forgiveness as a response to heartbreak. Surprising, perhaps, especially these days, but also perhaps grief's most powerful antidote. Our correspondent is Janet Shamblin. An unimaginable crime followed by an inconceivable response. Even though there's been this terrible thing happen, we don't need to think about judgment, we need to think about forgiveness and going on. The Amish community losing its most innocent, but somehow holding on to a steadfast belief in forgiveness, even for a man who targeted their children. Forgiveness is irrational. It's the most irrational thing that most people will ever, ever attempt in their life. Abigail knows that most devastating of losses. Her own daughter, Catherine, also died violently, stabbed by a stranger. Even after the killer was sent to death row, Gail was consumed by hate. I was full of anger and rage and an absolute lusting for revenge for years. No relief until more than a decade later when she wrote Catherine's killer. I was surprised to find that I could forgive you. This does not mean that I think you are innocent. 
or that you were blameless for what happened. The instant I put the letter in the mailbox, all the anger and rage and ugliness I carried in my body for 12 long years was instantly gone. Gail says it was a moment that changed her life. Forgiveness has the most profound healing power. It releases a person from that need to relive a trauma again and again and again. A belief the Amish live by through the words of a grieving grandfather. Is there anger toward the Dunham's family? No. Have you already forgiven? A peaceful community rocked by violence, sustained by forgiveness and amazing grace. <clears throat> Janet Shadlian, NBC News, Chicago. So what did you notice about the reaction, about forgiveness, about spiritual warfare? Very good. What else? I think it's with the like it's with the Stephen woman whose daughter was killed for Rebecca as well. Like it's all forgiveness is one thing and naming the, the issue, naming the crime, naming the grief, naming the hurt is, is another and those are often talked about in the same way, like forgive and forget, but that's that's I think sometimes that's a silly thing. forget to, to think that your memory is sort of connected to feeling anger and you're still feeling hurt and you're still feeling offense and you're feeling these things, how do you know that you've forgiven? Hmm. Good point. And she talked about to that um, that cycle of anger and what and how it's just continuing to hurt her mm -hmm. and how she couldn't break out of that mm -hmm. for twelve long years. Yeah. The perpetrator in her case though was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
can't get vengeance. You can't look at his face. You can't ask him, why did you do that? You, can't, you don't have to go through a court trial. Um, the fact that he's dead may have made it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. They later learned and theorized, which you all may have read, that this man had lost a daughter. And uh, this was his way of getting back at the Lord. Um, this was this was written about him in the days following. Um, I, it stood out to me that that there doesn't seem to be angry outbursts, uh, even in all of the B-roll that was kind of playing of the community. It was just there was peace. There was no doubt sorrow, um, no doubt grieving, but there was there was not commotion, unrest. It was very much. Um, there very much had been preparation of some sort, theologically, mentally, emotionally, that this was their practice. And it was, they immediately began talking about forgiveness. These, these reports are all the week of. Um, I read that they immediately reached out to the mother of the perpetrator, Charlie Roberts. Um, they held a private funeral for Charlie and the week of, and the Amish community surrounded the graveyard during that service and pray during the service. So um, this was very much who they, who they are, who, who they were in this, in this case. I thought that was uh, fantastic. Reed, do you mind reading Ephesians chapter 6 for us? How do I do it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, sorry, good to see you. <laughs> Somebody closer? It doesn't matter. Who's got good eyes? Any, any good eyes? Uh, finally be strong sorry. in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet lit fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So I wanted to use this uh, text as a... Um point of discussion this morning. As I watch this video, this, this is the thing that comes to my mind. This is a community that has been made ready, um, and I don't know if this, this concept or this idea of spiritual warfare um, specifically informs this particular Amish, com Amish community. I'm just saying this is what I certainly hear and think about when I, when I consider what they went through and how they reacted. Um, so I'm, this morning, I, I want to share a, a thought. Um, recently, we had a, a staff retreat, and we talked a lot about this concept of your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And, um, you know, a quick study into kind of Roman warfare in the context of this day, of course, um, I learned that, that Roman soldiers were sort of the, the front runners for something that, uh, like what we would call cleats today. They were they were, ha they were experimenting with a version of what we would think of as cleats. And so there's these spikes on the bottom of their sandals that used in battle. And obviously, technologically, they were trying to become more sure-footed. They were trying to become more adept and agile in, in battle. And uh, obviously, 
trying to prevent um, from being overturned by their enemy. They wanted more sure footing. And so this, um, maybe Paul's using this idea of us as disciples of Christ um, to be our feet, to have our feet fitted with something different, to have our feet fitted with this peace, this grounding sure-footedness that comes only from peace. And this peace, of course, we know is only offered in Christ. And so I, I felt that concept to be really compelling, um, just really pulled a lot of things together in my mind, maybe epiphany for me, hopefully at least on some level for y'all. But um, just this idea that this community is, is not reacting that, to their circumstance. They're, they're mourning, they're grieving, so in some regard they're reacting, but, but in terms of what is being offered to this family of the perpetrator, what's being offered to the crime itself, what's being offered to the world on the news, it's, we're at peace. Um, we're grounded. We're sure-footed. This isn't going to overturn us. This isn't going to off-end us. And uh, I think there's a lot to be learned there. This morning I want to argue that the messy, beautiful kingdom practice of forgiveness is inseparable from the cosmic reality of spiritual warfare. Does that make sense? The, the, the practice of forgiveness is inseparable from this right here. You can't uh, take the two apart. It would be a grave mistake to reduce the practice of forgiveness to psychotherapy. And uh, it's not merely a function of psychotherapy. Now, I don't want to invalidate the work of psychotherapy. It's a great field. It's a helpful field. And for any of you who might be connected to that field, it's an important work. That's not my point. But by itself, that field is not entirely transformative in, in, in the discussion of forgiveness, in the practice of forgiveness. So... Um, to truly transform uh, the dark places of our heart that either need to forgive ourselves or forgive another or to be forgiven, uh, I think the work begins in, in at least some understanding of this verse and in, in some uh, context of spiritual warfare. So let me share this, um, and you can push back on these. These are just my thoughts. Um, the spiritual warfare paradigm, we'll call it, accomplishes at least three things among many. Um, it reminds us to view forgiveness as a confession or a declaration that the kingdom of God is the truest reality. And Mallory pointed that out, um, that, that this idea, um, it, it actually declares that I am a proponent, I am um, a recipient of, or I'm, a, I'm an advocate for the kingdom of God, and I believe that's the truest reality to cling to, in, in certainly moments like these, like the Amish community uh, experience. So if forgiveness is our way of life, if it's who we are, then the, this practice communicates that Jesus, not me, is Lord. I mean, just by very nature of the, of the Amish community, what they're, what they're extending, what's being broadcast on the news in the days that followed, is that we believe Jesus is Lord, that we're not Lord. And I don't know if you caught it, but they had a line in there about the Amish community in particular being one that doesn't... Um, can't remember the exact words, but it was, it's willing to submit. It's, it's not trying to argue with, with the ways of God or what God chooses for them. And so it was a very submissive community. So forgiveness is an act of faith. Um, it's, and I would go so far as even to say it's a political statement. I think that's a whole other class, but I think you could say reasonably that, that forgiving and being, making that your way of life is actually uh, pronouncing a certain allegiance 
to the kingdom of God and not to, to any kingdoms of this world. Number two, and this is where we are today, it leads us to transformative tools and practices and training and disciples, or discipleship and, and disciplines. It leads us, this Ephesians 6 leads us to that discussion, which I think is the right discussion um, in, in terms of forgiving past hurts. And then finally, um, it strengthens us, the spiritual warfare paradigm strengthens us to prevent hurt in the future and extend what I'm calling imaginative preemptive forgiveness. And we'll talk about that later in class. But as Jenny said, the work in terms of training and discipleship that the Amish community did didn't occur right there at the death or the day of. They kind of called a meeting, what are we going to do? They knew what to do because they had already imagined what to do. They had already preemptively said, I'm going to forgive anyone that hurts me. I'm going to forgive anyone that offends me or, or they're not going to be successful in overturning me, but I'm rooted in peace, in the peace of Christ. So at least these three things occur. Um, the book that I, I flashed up by Tutu, uh, the book of forgiving, outlines this fourfold path. And, um, you know, this is, this is one author's um, take, and so you might run into other processes or steps that, that someone um, more brilliant than me might lay out for you. But so th this is just a great resource and one that we'll touch on, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you some tools today coming out of this um, process that he outlines. But number one is telling the story. And you see a lot of that, particularly with the lady um, who wrote the letter 12 years after the fact. Uh, she, she has to get it out. She has to kind of get it on paper. She, in that letter, she also names her hurt. And by putting it in the mailbox, she, she grants forgiveness. Now, I have a feeling that she's not necessarily going to be reconciled in the fullest form to her perpetrator. And I think uh, I, we, we can't judge that. I think that's okay for her, that, that, that we, can, we can release that relationship. She can release that relationship. Uh, some of us might choose to renew that relationship. <clears throat> As Sandra said, in the Amish community's case, the perpetrator's dead. Uh, they, can't, they can't renew that relationship. They can't somehow um, piece that back together. What's done is done. And so uh, this fourfold path, I think, will be really helpful in our, in our days ahead. Um, as far as telling the story, uh, and this will be in our weekly email, I'd love to share these with you, but uh, some great resources out there for hearing more compelling stories. If those inspire you, motivate you, help you sort through some of your own hurts, if you like visiting those types of stories. Um, some of them are as huge as the Amish, some of them are much more day-to-day, -day. Uh, but you can go to great resources and find um, those types of stories. Um, you know, I don't want to presume what you studied, what you know, but if you don't already know about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, you should look it up. It's a wonderful uh, story. Around 1996, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a kind of like a court-like um, gathering in South Africa at the end of apartheid where they basically created safe space to allow victims of violence to come forward and, and tell their story and pronounce what it is that had happened. Um, sometimes the perpetrators were actually present and, and they could um, apply for amnesty and uh, avoid, uh, I guess, prosecution um, in the deserving sense. And so uh, the TRC, as it's um, <coughs> referred to, is a great 
recent history resource, and I was ignorant that YouTube has an entire catalog of these stories. And so you can search TRC episode and come up with scores of episodes of just, you know, real close-up camera time with, with a person just pouring out their story in front of hundreds of people and, of course, broadcast across the nation, across the world. Um, it, it's really amazing. And so if you haven't ever stumbled into those videos, you know, I'd love for you to check some of those out. It's really, um, really important piece of recent history um, in terms of forgiveness and telling story. And so for the remaining minutes, what I'd love to do is just ask a few questions and, and begin, to begin a discussion. Uh, as I said, the, the sheets in your seat are for your exercises. And uh, much like any muscle, um, the practice of forgiveness is one that has to be exercised regularly and frequently and preemptively. Um, so not only will you be dealing with the hurts that you currently have from past experiences, I think these exercises are going to build the kind of disciplines and muscles and training that are going to be required for future hurts. And let's face it, you know they're coming, right? You're human. And so uh, there are more things to come. So. I know if I um, am in your chair and I'm getting ready to talk about telling the story and uh, maybe nobody has ever uh, challenged you yet to, to tell the story, to verbalize, actually get it out there, I would think that one of my initial fears would be like, who? Who are you talking about? Are you talking about this class? Are you talking about going to the perpetrator? Are you talking about um, putting it on Facebook? So how do you decide who to tell? And you can speak from your, where you are, generally, however you want to. But, but how do you go through that process of just deciding who to tell? Particularly initially, early on. The director said, find someone you feel safe with. You don't have to put it in the bulletin. <laughs> yeah, great. Wise words. How do you decide? No, I, I appreciate that question because I think as I try to order this discussion, I, I'm, I would tend to panic at the, the, the practicality. Like, okay, I'm all about telling, maybe naming hurts, and, and I, I might be willing to work toward forgiveness one day. But, but I know from experience that this kind of shuts people down. Because they try to imagine, am I talking about sitting with a group this big, my best friend, the preacher, do I've got, have I got to go to a therapist? What, you know, what it, and, and that's kind of like this initial roadblock that really stunts the whole process. 
And so I'd love for you guys to tackle, who do you tell? How do you tell? Uh, yeah? First thing I do is I tell my two or three closest Yeah. Because part of me wants to feel justified, and I need somebody to say, you were right. But then they usually play it too good. It's <laughs> like, you know what, I think I got a problem yeah. here. And that's the problem with friends is that they're always your champion, but they're not necessarily the one who's going to say, you're kind of out of balance, you need to really work through this. And then finding a person has the maturity to actually hear what you're saying. That's where my breakdown occurs because at that point I'm not looking for justification. I'm looking for relief. Hmm. I'm looking for a way to get past this so that I'm not thinking about it. And then I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. Hmm. And that's where I tend to break down is finding that person who can hear Good thought. What else? Which I don't know that be a good alternative for that. But when you tell somebody and then you go back and you don't put it for them, they're still carrying the hurt. Yeah. And and it may be hard for them to forgive the person that you have just forgiven because they haven't gone through the same process. If you journal, at least you've written it down, you've gotten it out. But it's still private, you know, and you haven't cast that person with whom you have a difficulty mm -hmm. your dad like this yeah. So the first person might be a piece of paper. That's that's acceptable. That's great. What else? Who else? The person that In some cases. Hurt you, yeah. Um, which I haven't been able to do. And and at least one in particular. Um, I said I was sorry. <laughs> What's going on, Dan? Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of healing to be done there to just get it all out. Yeah on the table and for that person to hear how you were hurt and um, and I think probably in one case for me that person would probably just be devastated that 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 you know that I know about it that I wasn't supposed to know about it and that I'm still in pain over it yeah. So I think there would be lots of healing there if I could guide people. Yeah. <laughs> but I think sometimes not doing what you're talking about is there's a part of us that's trying to protect someone else too. Like we want to protect people from our like what it sounds like. Like we know that person's going to be devastated, and there's a party that wants to protect them from that. <coughs> Yeah, there's a number of lies that we believe, and if you don't mind me using you as an example, I know Mary and I, have, as, as we've prepared for this class, have discussed this little voice in our head that we don't want to be a bummer. Like, we don't want to be downer for everybody. Like, we don't want to be Debbie Downer. And so, I just don't want to be that guy, right? Just to kind of come lay it out and stress you out, ruin your day. So, I'm just going to internalize it. So, I know we struggle with that with our personality type. But man, there's so much that plays into this with personality type, the degree of your hurt, the, the situation itself. There's no two situations alike, no, pe no two people alike. Uh, but deciding who to tell is really important. Um, the ideal is that we reclaim some dignity by facing the perpetrator, 
right? So that, that's, that's maybe what we're shooting for, but you have to be graceful yourself. There might be some intermediate steps like journaling that you can take to sort of uh, slowly work your way back towards um, where you'd like to be ultimately. Uh, this Desmond Tutu book recommends a person that's affirming, not necessarily agreeing or justifying of your emotion, but affirming you as a person and as a friend. They're empathetic and they're trustworthy. Ultimately, there has to be somebody that can handle this, which might lead you to a third party, right? A lot of times, you know, there's nothing wrong with seeing a therapist. There's nothing wrong with seeing a spiritual director because those third parties sometimes have no, no emotional tie to the situation whatsoever and can just hear you out as you, as you sort it out, as you piece the story together because you yourself are sorting through it. So third party sometimes really good. Uh, in terms of listening, if you ever be on the listening end, if you're ever on the listening end, um, do not question the facts. Do not cross-examine. Make it a safe space for that person who's talking. Acknowledge what happened and empathize with their pain. Um, next question. What's the value in telling the story? So, so tell me a little bit about what you would think the value is in getting this stuff out. Yeah, great story. Thank you. 
Thank you. What if you're a person who's offended by everybody? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and how, how do you distinguish that this is a genuine hurt or mad that you got in front of me? I just mad that car in front of me. I just always the object of people are always, you know, that when you're talking to an audience about forgiving, uh, there are people who are upset by everything. Yeah, that's true. Everything. You feel that you're against them all the time. Nothing ever turns out right for me. Uh, <laughs> how do we help each other? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great point. There there are folks like that. I'm not sure any of us have the answer to how to deal with those people. I could I could forgive at a distance. Yeah. Family members would be a little bit like that. Yeah. Well, we're about out of time. Um, I, I, we, maybe at the beginning of next week we can spend another five minutes on this, but we do want to think about how to start with the facts, right? This Telling the story is really important for you, especially, and I loved your comment, but you kind of need to sort some things out first. And so whether it's journaling or this third-party safe person or somebody that you trust, you kind of need to get the story straight. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, We'd love to just touch on what are some of the costs of not telling, because there can be some real destructive uh, results for you personally or for your family or for people close to you if you don't tell the story and you, you internalize this like Mary and I do. Um, lastly, and if, if you could jot this down, certainly it'll be in the notes, but I'd love you to spend some time meditating on John 8.36. John 8.36, it's a really short verse. It says, uh, I didn't put it on there. It says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so uh, spend some time contemplating that. Um, maybe in the way of review, we'll circle back to some of these thoughts at the beginning of next class. But thank you all very much for being here this morning. Um, have a good day. Oh, no problem. You're getting old. So is ours. <laughs> You gotta forgive me. I do. I've already forgiven you. You didn't approach me.